All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and here we go now with the holiday this Monday in honor of Queen Elizabeth. Of course, her state funeral is this Monday. It will be a holiday in B.C., but only for public sector workers. Public schools will be closed. Government offices will be closed. Have a listen to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau making the announcement yesterday. Have a listen. have uh, also uh, chosen to move forward uh, with uh, a uh, federal holiday uh, on Monday. We will be working with the provinces uh, and uh, the uh, territories uh, to try and see that we're aligned on this. Okay, it doesn't really sound like he was confident that this was going to go very smoothly, does it? That's what I took away from that yesterday, saying, you know, we're kind of working with the provinces and the territories to see that we're aligned here. Not really aligned. Like, if you take a look at Ontario, for example, Premier Doug Ford there announced yesterday, oh, well, we'll have a day of remembrance for the Queen, but Ontario schools will still be open. Not the case here in B.C. Lots of parents here now scrambling to make childcare arrangements on Monday. Let's discuss with my guest Rob Shaw, political correspondent for Czech News in Victoria. Very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Rob. Hey, Mike. Okay, how did all this go down? It sounded like there was quite a furious discussions behind the scenes yesterday to figure this out. Yeah, the government here spent all day trying to thread this needle and then issued this sort of panicky 4 p.m. statement that was as clear as mud. Like, you might as well have written the thing in Klingon for all anyone understood <laughs> trying to read it. Like, I, I printed it off. It was like a beautiful mind. There's algebraic equations operating in front of my face. and trying to understand the language. You know, people, someone's life work to write it in such a vague way yesterday. And for the first hour... Half the media in B.C. got it wrong, not to their fault, but they said, hey, we got a holiday Monday. It's great. No holiday, really. It's, it's, it's a weird parsing of language. So, yeah, I mean, inside the government, they felt like their hands were tied because what happened is when Trudeau called this a national day of mourning and gave the federal public service a day off, it yeah. triggered some contracts in B.C., collective agreements with public sector unions, that they also get any new federal days off. So... Some public sector unions automatically were going to get this off anyways. And then the government had to figure out, well, what, do you, what can stay open, what can't? And it ended up with this weird half-measure response, like, please nobody, and creates a bunch of other problems that are in the process that were unintended and leaves everybody trying to scramble and, and okay. figure it out. What are the biggest problems in your mind? Like I've been hearing from parents here overnight saying, well, hang on a sec. I got little kids in school. They were supposed to be in school on Monday. I haven't got any child care. Oh, now they're scrambling. What are you hearing? Yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, yeah. look, like the, the teachers didn't have this in their collective agreement that they would automatically get this day off when the, the federal oh. workers did. But CUPE, which uh, represents the bus drivers, janitors, secretaries, special education assistants, they did. So the government was faced with, well, can we leave schools open without any of the support staff? Teachers, the BCTF was never going to apply for that. So essentially they had to close schools. Teachers are going to get paid on Monday as a, as a stat um, when it's not in their contract. But it's jammed parents. And I, I don't think government under, they didn't seem to understand that because it's been 
There's been no comeback or no explanation or anything. There was a lot of pressure from the business community. Don't make this a stat. Our businesses can't afford it. Um, It's going to hurt us at this time. And the government tried to make them happy, which is odd for the NDP government lining up with the business sector, and also the unions happy and in turn really made nobody happy, I think. Right. Could they not have kept the schools open anyway and just say okay if when you come to work like you mentioned these support workers have got it in their contract that if it's a federal holiday we get it too but just open the schools and if ask the support workers to come in pay them time and a half just like you normally would be pay someone for working on a on a vacation day sure i think they could have made a decision like that they could have also just decided to make it a stat you know the government could have gone all the way and said it's fair like when we have to shut down when we have to essentially give holidays to the healthcare system, the school system, the entire 400 to 500,000 public uh, sector system in BC, um, maybe we should just call it a stat, you know? But it didn't yeah. seem to have the jam to follow that through it. Clearly, well, this government does not want it to be a stat, Mike. That, well, that's really the bottom line issue. Okay, speaking of healthcare, like hospitals will still be open, right? I mean, they have to be open. Sure, but they'll be open with stat pay. With, right. uh, with, you know, like it, it, things don't shut down. You just end up having to pay more to operate them. And some doctors are online saying they'll continue to, to be open on Monday because they can't, their wait lists are so long, they can't not see patients and others won't. But um, yeah, no, it's not like there are sections that will stay open and the government yeah. could have left schools open and paid for it. They just seem to have not uh, wanted to do that. Like uh, the government said yesterday, a lot of government officer uh, offices will be closed. Crown, a lot of crown corporations would be closed. Like, will ICBC offices be closed on Monday? I assume. Uh, I, I assume, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't think we've heard from all the crowns on exactly what they're going to do, but that, that's the sort of assumption when they're included in this. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Rob Shaw from Czech News, you mentioned that small businesses were saying, don't do this to us, don't make this a stat. Here is Ryan Mallow. He is from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Here he is yesterday speaking to Global News, and I'll get your thoughts. A full closure or a stat holiday level closure um, would come with a significant cost. And again, it's not one that any business owner has planned in. It's not like Labor Day uh, or Thanksgiving where there's time to prepare and adjust for it. Okay, so they're breathing a sigh of relief. The government did not go that far. It's not a stat. So businesses, I guess, happy about that. But I guess it's just the parents. The parents of school kids are the ones who are sort of caught in the middle of those. Yeah, I mean, politics, you know, Smitty makes for strange bedfellows, right? It's like their marriages of convenience all over the place. And suddenly this new Democrat government has found itself trying to help the business sector and in alignment yeah. with the business sector on not calling a stat, which is a little bit weird. But um, you know, they, they're clearly urging the private sector to find some way to um, allow a moment of remembrance. So I guess you might get right. five minutes out the back door to nod to the queen and in the distance and then go back into work. But it's not going to be yeah. enough if your kid's not at, uh, not at school and you have to go to work. You are in, in, in for some big headaches uh, come Monday. Okay, Rob, thanks for coming on. Hey, anytime. All right, talking about the holiday in B.C., only for the public sector, though, on Monday to mark the state funeral for Queen Elizabeth. B.C. public schools will be closed. Parents now scrambling for child care.
Phone me on this one now. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Let's check in with Cindy Dalglish, who is an education advocate in BC. And I'm very pleased to welcome her back. Hey, Cindy. Good morning, Mike. What are you hearing from parents on this one? Uh, Parents are scrambling. They are concerned that they still have to go to work and they don't have anywhere for their children to go. Um, that there is a concern around more instructional hours being taken away from their kids, and that adds Mm. more pressure to teachers to get more curriculum in in a shorter period of time. So it's, you know, the the timing is poor with the Truth and Reconciliation Day coming up. Seems Mm. to be a bit of a slap in the face for that day, uh, knowing the monarchy's... um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the monarchy being so involved in residential schools. It's, hmm. Yeah, it, it's not a great feeling. What is it possible? That, that's interesting, the point that you just made about the school curriculum. Like, how do they make up that day? Is there a plan for that? Well, there is a, a instructional hours regulation, but from what I understand that they, of course, it's a regulation, not a law, so they can alter it to reduce the number of days, or sorry, hours. Yeah. Um, I just, again, that adds more pressure to our already overtaxed education system and our educators that are, um, you know, really struggling right now. This isn't a, a bash at, at teachers or collective agreements. It is just the state of things right now. And it's adding pressure where pressure wasn't needed. I don't know why they could not have simply kept the schools open. Like in Ontario, for example, Ontario Premier Doug Ford said there, look, we'll have a day of remembrance, but we're keeping the schools open. Kids can maybe talk about the queen in school and learn about her. Be a good opportunity. I, I can't. I don't know why we couldn't do the same thing. Like the government is saying, well, there's union contracts that are, get triggered here. Well, could they not just keep the schools open and pay them time and a half for working on a vac- on a holiday? I think with such a short runway of time between now and Monday that just to get that organized to have those conversations with the various unions that are impacted, it it is a really tough way to go about it. I would be surprised if a lot of educators are happy about Monday being closed, Um, but uh, I would be very surprised to hear that. However, okay. it is kind of just what it is, and it's yeah. just a really it's a it's a miss for so many people. And but we do have legal ramifications if we don't follow collective agreements at this point, um, and that's on purpose and probably wasn't with the line sight of of the queen passing and yeah. mourning her. Um, however, it is what it is, and it's just really unfortunate how quickly everyone has to scramble. Cindy, thank you for your thoughts on it. Thank you. Appreciate a lot. Cindy Dalglish there. She has a great job as an education advocate in B.C. Let's go to your calls on the open line. Mike and Vernon. Mike, what do you think? Oh, morning, Mike. Right. Well, I can understand the parents' situation. It's, it's a tough one. Um, but, you know, there's an awful lot of other people who are going to be impacted by this. So if you had appointments with government officials on Monday, meeting schedules um, that have taken months to get set up, those are all going to be dropped, I'm sure. Um, I, I will give you a, a, a pretty solid example, sure. and that is driver's license exams. Yeah, You're going to have all these people that have had driver's license exams booked for the Monday, and uh, all of a sudden, boom, those are gone. And for some people, that's going to be um, commercial license exams for bus driving, um, a number of other ones. 
all of those are going to be cancelled and those people have invested money because it is not cheap to get a commercial license and now they're sitting on the sidelines wondering where they're going to get or when they're going to get their uh, mm. exam done. Good point. Thank you, Mike, for that. Let's go to Bill in Maple Ridge. Hey, Bill, what do you think? Hey, how you doing? It's uh, well, my wife's a school teacher, and even she says this is ridiculous. Oh. I mean, <laughs> we've you know we've given the uh, we've given the royals their due, in my opinion. And now that the queen has passed, we can just say we've given her respect. It's time to drop them, in my opinion. Just yeah, totally well, drop it. What, dr- just- drop the monarchy. Yeah, oh yeah, oh. definitely. Okay. I think well, it's long overdue, but we have to give the queen her respect. Well, sure. Okay, you, you know, but she's gone now. Yeah. So let's just drop the whole bloody thing in my opinion. Thank you. Okay. Okay, Bill, thank you for the call. Well, I mean, that's a another topic we can discuss about the future of the monarchy. I I think that you know, you're you it's interesting your wife saying that she's a teacher and even she thought this was kind of ridiculous. I don't know. I, I would think most teachers would be thinking, oh, this is great. I get a day off. I mean, for a lot of kids, it's, it's like a snow day in September. This is awesome. But if you're stuck in the middle of this, you're not feeling that way, I don't think. Dave and Fanny Bay. Hi, Dave. Yeah, yeah thanks for the opportunity. Sure. You know, uh, if, if we're in deficit anyway and Trudeau's got to borrow the money to, to pay all the employees, um, wh- why don't we just borrow borrowed enough money to pay everybody and and so we're not living in a two-tier society here you know uh if it's good enough for the goose it's good enough for the gander everybody should get a paid day off and if they have to work they get double pay okay so you're saying that they should have what just okay we'll keep the schools open if you have to work fine we'll pay you time and a half that's right because you know if it's good enough for for everybody with with uh with a public sector uh contract it's right. good enough for everybody. I mean, this is ridiculous that, that we can pick and choose winners out of this, and it's and you're picking and choosing winners on a sad situation. Yeah, you know, okay. Two-tier okay. society here. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's tell you, uh, give you an update on a story we've covered here for you in the past, and that was the decision by the Vancouver School Board to eliminate the school police liaison officers program. Now, these were police officers who were actually stationed in B.C. schools. They used to be assigned there. That's all these officers did. They were dedicated to liaising with public school students in the city. They were there to protect kids, advise kids who were in trouble. I've spoken to a lot of these police officers over the years who said they've had a lot of kids come to them where they're victims of domestic abuse or maybe they were getting into a wrong group of crowd of people. Lots of problems with kids with problems that would come to these cops. A lot of them coached teams or they ran school clubs for kids. Not anymore in Vancouver. Remember, the Vancouver School Board voted last year to scrap this program. So the program was shut down in Vancouver schools. Uh, school board trustees who voted for this said they felt that a lot of kids in Vancouver schools were not comfortable with police officers in the schools, especially kids, racialized kids who were minority, racial minority kids. Have a listen. I got Joshua Zhang standing by to discuss this. First, have a listen to this. This is Tanya Byzantine, the spokesperson for the Vancouver Police Department, after this decision was made. 
SLOs have been in our Vancouver schools for decades. Not only did they um, or were responsible for uh, the safety of the students and responding to incidents that would occur, they were also involved in programs, running clubs. They were coaches on sports teams. They led safety initiatives. So to hear this, it's very uh, disappointing. Okay, let's discuss this now. This will be an issue in the uh, civic election that is underway right now. Check this out. The ABC Vancouver party that is the party with Ken Sims who is running for mayor they say they will restore this program uh, if they can form a majority on the Vancouver school boards check in with Joshua Zhang running for the school board with the ABC slate Joshua thanks for coming on thanks for having me Mike okay okay you bet it's interesting issue interesting position by your party tell me your thoughts on it yes um, so when the Vancouver School Board voted to remove the program, I think a lot in 2021, I think a lot of parents were rightly concerned. And ever since that removal has happened, there have been an increasing amount of safety issues on school grounds in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be that these this program allowed collaborative efforts between administrators and school counselors to prevent huge incidents before they're ever publicized or occur. Uh, And now, ever since the removal of the program, school staff, all the way from the administrators to janitors, are frustrated because, one, nobody feels particularly safe on school grounds. The children don't certainly don't feel safe. And it's very difficult for administrators now to de-escalate issues. They either have a choice to try and do their best in every situation or they have to call 911 yeah. and have the Vancouver Police Department independently address it. But one of the biggest issues with canceling the program is the removal of the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding. Now, right, right now, there's no way for the VPD and the VSB to collaborate on certain either criminal or even smaller issues. So they can't, it's, it's impossible, it's very difficult for them to de-escalate issues. What are you hearing from parents, teachers, other officials in the education system on, on this topic? Because I recall at the time this decision was made by the school board to stop this program, they had even done their own internal surveys on it and found that most most people wanted to keep the police in schools. Like most kids wanted the program to continue. What are your thoughts? That's true. Um, I've probably talked to over 50 people that have expressed roughly that idea. They were shocked when they found out that they removed the SLOs because they used to deal very effectively with gang crime. Um, There's also a very sophisticated drug dealing network inside the schools that they're deterrent against. And now I'm hearing cases wherein their children being extorted into the sex trade. So this wow. all used to be part of the scope of the school liaison officers. And I think it's almost a little bit of a misnomer to call them police in schools because they're not they're they're there to liaise between the VSB and the VPD. They're not yeah. they're trained specifically and they do not act in the exact same way as a normal police officer. They're certainly not there to intimidate children and yeah. youth. And right. yeah, go ahead. 
Speaking of Joshua Zhang, he's running for Vancouver School Board with the ABC Vancouver Slate and their promise to restore uh, this school liaison, police, police liaison officer program in Vancouver schools. Hey, Joshua, let me play a clip here for you. We've talked about this issue extensively on past shows, but we've had both sides of it on the show. Mm-hmm. Let me listen to this. This is a recent high school graduate from Vancouver, in Vancouver. Her name is Hallelujah Hailu. And she is a black student. She is an anti-racism advocate. And she was all in favor of having these, these police officers removed from Vancouver schools. Because she said a lot of kids, if they were racial minority kids, racialized kids, they did not feel comfortable with police officers in schools. Here she is make, talking about racism and this, pro, and this program. Then I'll get your thoughts. Have a listen. My perspective being a woman of color is that you're ending up making a huge group of students, black and indigenous people of color, completely uncomfortable um, understanding like the history that RCMP do have with black and indigenous people of color. And a lot of my activism with police and schools comes uh, hand in hand with racism in schools, because I think if you're going to talk about police, you have to understand that historically the RCMP in Canada do come with a lot of racism in schools. Joshua, what do you think of her position on it? There's, there are a couple of things that are important here. I believe this student is was actually part of the Burnaby Secondary School System, not the Vancouver yeah. School, but that doesn't certainly doesn't invalidate her experience. Uh, she she claims that you know a big a large portion of students are intimidated and feel unsafe. I would say to her that if the school liaison program. The origination of it was actually designed to make kids feel more at ease and developing and develop a trusting, respectful, and long-lasting relationship with the community and the police at large. Yeah. If if you are a young child or youth in high school and you you feel ang- anxiety when you see a police officer, the school liaison officer program is supposed to help you accommodate your feelings to that in the future. I, it would be no different if you show, if an officer showed up at a restaurant completely unrelated to you in the future and you, and you still feel anxiety. So part of the program was to help relieve what she is describing in that instance. And the other part I would just say is the DPD and ABC as a party is not um, unwilling to deal with specific lived experiences like this lady. Yeah. Well, there's no one size fits all solution for any problem. I mean, if a specific concern arises, then we're absolutely open for a meeting between the SLO, the parents, the children, and the school staff, and to so we can divulge exactly what right. went wrong with them and that relationship. So there's nothing. We're not. We're definitely willing to listen to those issues, but it's, right. it's definitely not a common problem. Yeah, like I respect her position, and I thought she was a very articulate young person uh, when she was speaking to me on the show, and I have no doubt she did feel exactly what she described there. But, you know, I also think that I've talked to a lot of other young people, kids, including kids, racialized kids, minority kids, who had very different feelings about and didn't didn't have any problem at all with police officers in the school. Let me play another clip here for you. So this is Hallelujah Hailu. Here she is saying that the program wasn't needed. Then I'll get your thoughts. We already had people like that involved in our school. We had uh, safe school specialists, which were more trained counselor figures involved in schools. 
and the cops in schools weren't stationed in schools full time. It was more a casual thing. It wasn't a constant police officer down every hallway. Yeah. So I guess the point she's making there, Joshua, for your thoughts is that you don't need police officers in schools to keep kids safe. We could do it through school counselors. But your thoughts? I think the evidence has pointed opposite to that. Um, you've, there's been many publicized incidents in Vancouver recently of a public safety meltdown uh, over essentially one of them was a false alarm. And now you're seeing swarmings in certain communities, even in Carisdale, there's been swarmings of teens, bullying. There's increased bullying of younger children. Uh, listen, we're not it's, we're not close-minded to adapting the program for the future. Like, right. if if it is in in each individual case, there might be a different solution. And you know, for example, in a at a school where there are more racialized kids that feel more anxious towards police. Maybe the solution is to have them more in plain clothes. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what the the Vancouver police have also told me that, look, we are open to changing and modifying this program. Like, you know, you don't have to have police officers in uniform. People, some people don't like seeing an officer with a gun on on the officer's hip. Like you don't have to have them armed in the school. Yeah. Your thoughts. Uh, I, I, I certainly understand some of those views. Um, it, just just to be clear, bringing back the program does not mean the SLOs will go unchecked. They will be held accountable exactly like they were before. Yeah. I don't think there's ever been an incident where someone's complained about the SLOs being intimidating with their guns. But that's true, that we, we must come up with adaptive solutions, and the VPD have all, always been open to that. And uh, ABC Vancouver feels no differently on that. Okay, it's an interesting issue. I think it's going to be a key one here in this election. Joshua, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. All right. Talking about the school liaison officer program in Vancouver schools, police officers in schools. Remember, the Vancouver School Board shut that program down last year. Should it be brought back, put the police officers back in schools? Jazz in Abbotsford on the open line. Hi, Jazz. Hi, Mike. Um, So I grew up at a high school with the police program. Um, I'm a person of color. I I never really experienced what this young girl that you spoke to earlier was talking about. The the officers that volunteer for these programs, let's face it, are people who like working with kids. They were very friendly and, um, you know, welcoming when you walk past them in the schools. And um, I'm also a school teacher who has seen the officers in our system, um, not in Vancouver, sorry, uh, in Abbotsford. And, you know, they have an amazing presence in the school. They connect with kids that are at risk, um, positive connections, always positive interactions. And any positive interaction that we can have for these kids with an adult, especially an adult, um, you know, an officer like this, is a good thing. So... I'm very confused as to why anybody would stop these programs. They're amazing, and um, especially if we can call this the post-COVID era, we need stuff like this more than ever. Do you think? Thank you, Jazz, for that. Do you think they helped a lot of kids? These police officers. I agree with you. I've become convinced that this was a really good program. Um, do you think they helped kids who were in trouble? For sure. And yeah. 
And it, the best thing was, uh, so I was at a middle school one year, and it wasn't, they weren't there every day. They were there once a week because they went to several different middle schools uh, throughout the week. And there was an incident one time. This is when cell phones first came out. There was um, an inappropriate picture sent of a girl. Um, he, the boy then sent it to multiple kids around the school. It was just one of those first incidents. This was literally seven, eight years ago when this kind of stuff uh, started happening. I was able to immediately connect them with the officer who took them all in. He took away their phones. He took, deleted the pictures right away and really helped the girl because if that had just sat there and um, we had to deal with it ourselves or admin had to deal with it who was dealing with other stuff, who knows how many uh, people would have received that picture within the next hour. But because the officer was there, he was able to talk to them about the effects of that picture and having it on your phone and what that means and all sorts of great stuff that he was able to tell them right away. And all those kids learned the lesson. Wow. And um, it, it was just great having him there. So I've had nothing but positive experiences as a student as well as a teacher with this program. So, Jazz. I, you know, unfortunately you can't interview other teachers in the Vancouver district because they're all at work today, <laughs> like <laughs> me, but I'm sure most teachers would agree. Jazz, thank you for that. I think that's an awesome story that you just told there of this program in action. You know, just sort of nipping that in the bud there, right, that, that photo. Great, great example, I think, of how the program can work effectively. Thank you for sharing that. Heather in North Vancouver. Heather, you only got about 30 seconds here, okay? Go ahead. I taught in an alternative school in the 80s, and this was for kids with social and behavior disorders, and we had an RCMP in the school, and it was the best thing. And of all kids that would hate having RCMP in a school, it would have been them, because most of them, well, not most of them, a lot of them were on probation or had negative uh, interactions with the police, and I just don't understand why Vancouver would do this. All right. Let's talk about the cost of living in our country right now. Lots of people having trouble making ends meet. Inflation on the rise. we got record high inflation right now. We've got rising interest rates as well. Uh, yesterday, we saw a sell-off in the stock market, as you heard in your newscast there. Fears of even higher interest rates to come in the face of this inflation. What is the government doing about it? Well, yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau rolled out a $4.5 billion relief plan to help Canadians through inflation. It includes a doubling of the quarterly tax credit uh, set for uh, low and modest income families to offset sales tax. Also, $500 one-time top-up in a housing benefit to help people pay the rent. Got Franco Terrazano standing by to talk about this. First, let's have a listen to Trudeau here yesterday announcing these measures. All summer, members of Liberal Caucus have been talking to Canadians, listening to people's worries about their future, about how difficult it is to make ends meet right now. And our government has been hard at work on a plan that will deliver relief to millions of Canadians. We've already delivered on childcare, we've delivered an increasing Canada child benefit. We continue to step up in a range of ways. But today, we're announcing additional targeted new measures that will support the middle class and people working hard to join it. Okay, $4.5 billion 
in relief. Have a listen to the opposition leader here now, conservative leader Pierre Polyev. He says, look, spending more money could make inflation even worse. Have a listen. The problem with spending more money as a solution to inflation is that it simply pours more gasoline on the inflationary fire. And that is exactly what Justin Trudeau continues to do. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Franco Terrazano, Federal Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Franco, thanks for coming on today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay, I know you care about Canadian taxpayers who are suffering in this economy, especially with that record high inflation right now. What do you think about what the government is doing here to help people? Well, unfortunately, I I don't think most Canadians are going to feel any help from this. Um, What this announcement shows is that the Trudeau government is not serious about the affordability issue. I mean, this is a very, very serious problem. And the reason I say he's, it, it, the government isn't serious is for two reasons. I mean, number one, let's look at the big announcement, the GST rebate. Now, that is going to help many Canadians who get some of their money back because they're paying too much taxes on the till. But if the government acknowledges that one of the ways to help people get through this very difficult time is to just allow people to keep more of their own money, then why not just cut taxes at the till or across the board uh, for all Canadians? Because the GST rebate, Um, isn't going to even impact more than two-thirds of Canadians. But number two, and maybe this is the the broader issue here, is that we have seen the government raise its gas taxes. We have seen the government increase taxes on your favourite case of beer, on your favourite bottle of wine. Uh, We've seen the government raise payroll taxes year after year after year. So essentially what this announcement is like is the government breaking your leg, giving you a crutch, that is two sizes too small, and saying, hey, look, we're helping you walk again. <laughs> okay, what about the, uh, the rent assistance there he announced, like $500 for people who qualify? I mean, I'm not sure that's going to have a big impact either, especially in cities like Vancouver, Toronto, where we've got these runaway rent hikes going on right now. I mean, 500 bucks. I mean, Hey, you get $500 cash in your claw. I guess it's better. you're better off than you were yesterday. You got $500 more. But, man, when you take a look at the cost of rent, especially in this city, I'm not sure it's going to make much of a difference. But your thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can echo those thoughts. But let, let me give you two, yeah. two more thoughts on this, okay? So, sure. so one is, is the broader issue. So affordability is based on a few things. One, it's how much does something cost? But the other is how much money do you have to be able to purchase that? And in 2020, the average Canadian family paid about $35,000 in taxes. Okay, that's more than double than what the average Canadian family was paying all the way back in 1961, even adjusted for inflation. So the first thing is you have to take a broader look at all of this kind of stuff and say, well, I mean, if the government just wasn't raising all these taxes during the pandemic, if governments over the decades weren't raising taxes all the time, then Canadians would have more money in their pockets to spend on many things like groceries, like gas bills, like uh, getting their kids to hockey practice, which I know is starting up now. Uh, But the second thing, and more to the point, is where is the government getting any of this this money? Does it have a Mm -hmm. money tree somewhere that that we're not aware of? Because in 2020, it just ran a $300 billion deficit. In 2021, it ran a deficit more than $100 billion. This year, it's running a $50 billion deficit. So so who's going to pay for this? Because the government's deficits are so big that it's not just taxes on the wealthy that are going to pay for this. No, they're going to have to raise taxes on everyday Canadians to afford for their massive deficit spending. So I just don't think the government is really being honest 
with how with Canadians on how it's financing uh, its mm. programs. Speaking of Franco Terrazano about the federal government's $4.5 billion inflation relief plan announced yesterday by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You know, it's interesting to contrast this with something that the finance minister said last week, Christia Freeland, and she was in Vancouver last week, was asked about inflation fighting measures, said they want to help the most vulnerable Canadians through inflation. But then she also had another comment here about the need to not go overboard with spending. Have a listen to what the finance minister said here, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts. So this is Christia Freeland last week in Vancouver. Our government has a real responsibility to be fiscally responsible. And that was one of the guiding principles of the budget in April. And that is going to be an approach that we continue to take. Okay, so that was last week that they will, she will continue to be fiscally responsible. And then yesterday it's $4.5 billion in, in inflation relief. I mean, can you square that, that circle? Like, I mean, the, gov- the government would frame this as like, this is, this is being targeted at the most vulnerable, but your thoughts? Well, okay, first, let me just, I'm like laughing right now because saying that this government is like being fiscally responsible is kind of like reminds me of the times on like a Friday and I'm not proud of this where I go to McDonald's, I spend 30 bucks on like Big Macs, chicken nuggets, and then I get a Diet Coke with it, right? Like this government isn't fiscally responsible. It hasn't been fiscally responsible. And the issue started way before the pandemic. I mean, they were spending all time highs in 2018. So they were spending more before the pandemic, yes, adjusted for inflation and population, than the government was during any year of World War II. So this government has never been fiscally responsible, even from the beginning. But let me go back to the the real issue here, and it's really one that is important. And it's that, you know, the last announcement that we just saw from Trudeau was about low-income and modest-income Canadians. And let's make no bones about it. This inflation is doing the most damage to the Canadians who are already having the most difficult time stretching their paychecks. Sure, well, yeah. So on the one hand, right, on the one hand, you have the government saying it wants to help modest-income Canadians, but then on the other hand, the government is doing stuff that harms modest-income Canadians the most. Let me give you a concrete example. Sure. Next year, the government's second carbon tax, which is buried within fuel regulations, takes effect. Now, according to the government's own analysis, not my words, analysis from the federal government, you know who's going to be the most impacted by the second carbon tax? Hmm. Single Low mothers. Low income. Single mothers. Canadians. Okay. Yep, single mothers. Canadians living that are already in energy poverty. Seniors yeah. who are living on fixed incomes. So you know what? If this government was truly serious about affordability, the first thing it would do is just stop with the raising of taxes. Last question for you, Franco. Do you think that spending money to help people through inflation actually could cause more inflation. Like, that's what, you know, that's what Pauly have said there in that clip we played. Now, that's a political talking point he's going to repeat a lot. But yeah. let me let me quote here for you from Derek Holt, who is the head of capital market economics at Scotiabank. And his analysis on this inflation-fighting package announced by Trudeau, he says, quote, I expect this will add to inflationary pressures into the start of the year. He also anticipates it will increase pressure on the Bank of Canada to further increase increase interest rates. So that's Scotiabank analysis there, not a politician saying that this could create this could create more inflation and maybe push the infl- 
push the interest rates higher. Your thoughts? Well, no, these, this deficit spending is inflationary. And that's the problem with spending money like crazy when times are good, when spending money like crazy when times are bad, and when spending money like crazy all the time. That's the problem with this government's approach. It, because now it is extremely inflationary and it's not just how the government is spending or how much the government is spending which is a huge deal but it's also how the government is financing its spending what was so different during the pandemic than in normal years is that you had the printing press running on overdrive you had the central bank the bank of canada print 300 billion dollars out of thin air largely by purchasing government of canada debt so you had the printing press financing a huge chunk of the government's deficit spending. That is the inflation tax. That is the definition of the inflation tax. So look, uh, on this point, Paul Yev is right. And when we talk about all this spending, we have to remember we see an inflation tax. We see Canadians paying too much tax because the government's wasting too much money on things like uh, $295 million for the Ford Motor Company, corporate welfare, Mm. left, right, and center. Franco, thank you for coming on today. Hey, my pleasure.